You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. Well, man, it is sure great to be with you guys worshiping here in the cameo as well as those of you online, and we're going to continue today. Today in our spiritual warfare series, and today we're going to be looking at something called the lust spirit, and that's a pesky one for sure. And a few weeks ago, I showed you a woman named Black China, and Black China actually gave up her identity in that realm, gave up her porn site, which, uh, you know, when she came to faith in Jesus, she gave up her porn site that was generating a lot of income for her. Not only did she do that, she covered over some satanic tattoos. Then she went back to Bible college and got a degree and earned a doctorate degree. Now she's not going by her stage name of Black China, but she's going by her title and birth name, Dr. Angela Renee White. And that's an example of a woman who was, through Christ, able to overcome the lust spirit. But a couple of years ago, I showed you guys an article about dating app culture and how the lust spirit operates there. Now, I'm not saying that dating apps are wrong. Um, In fact, a lot of great people meet a lot of other great people on dating apps. Dating apps are kind of like knives. They're really great if they're cutting your food, but they're really bad if they're cutting your throat. You know what I'm saying? And so let me show you this article that I had showed you a couple of years ago, Vanity Fair, Tinder and the Dawn of the Dating Apocalypse. And one guy in the article, he said something interesting. He said, you could talk to two or three girls at a bar and pick the best one. You could swipe a couple of hundred people a day. The sample size is so much larger. It's setting up two or three Tinder dates a week, and chances are sleeping with all of them. So you could rack up 100 girls you slept with in a year. That is the lust spirit in operation. And I didn't know that there were all these names for people that they had in dating app culture. And so there's something called Tinderellas, and that's when guys call someone a Tinderella when that like they'd sleep with a girl before midnight, but not afterwards. And then there's a Tinder king, and that's a guy that can get a woman to sleep with him just by his texting game, sometimes just using emojis. And then one called uh, Tinder food stamps. I didn't know about that one, but this is like um, when a girl will go on a Tinder date just to get a free dinner or something. Now that makes sense to me, right? Uh, Because everywhere there's free food, you'll find a pastor. So uh, I can get down with that. That's very Dame Ramsey there. But the thing is, uh, one guy said, this was sad to me. One guy in this article, he says, I sort of play that I could be a boyfriend kind of guy in order to win them over. But when they start wanting me to care more, I just don't. I just don't care. I thought that was sad. Because, you know, it's just a guy has the lust spirit. It's like created this sense of disconnection from physical connection and emotional connection. And then another thing that was really sad in the article was this young woman. She said, I had sex with a guy and he ignored me as I got dressed and I saw he was back on Tinder. That is the lust spirit in full effect right there. And the truths that I'm going to show you today are going to be helpful for you, whether you're a man or a woman or whether you're tempted by lust to to utilize porn or other people, there are three things that we've got to deal with to overcome the lust spirit. And here they are. We've got to deal with demons, desire, 
and delight. To overcome lust, we have to deal with demons, desire, and delight. And I'm going to break down each one of the three. The first one is dealing with demons. Now, we're in a topical Bible study today. When you do a topical Bible study, it's important to apply hermeneutics or principles of interpreting the Bible. And the hermeneutic I'm going to show you today is called the first mention principle. So you look for the first time something was mentioned in the Bible, and it gives you an insight into that idea throughout the rest of the Bible. What is the first mention of lust in the Bible? And I can just tell you that the answer to that question is going to lead us to a very weird Bible passage, okay? The first time lust is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 6. It's going to be in verse 2 through 5. And put your weird seatbelts on. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. Evidently, people lived longer before that time. And, you know, people weren't going to live much more than 120 years from that point on. Verse 4, the Nephilim, say that word Nephilim when I point to you, ready? Nephilim, we'll talk more about that in a minute. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so I know that's a weird passage and a lot of stuff to, to think about there, right? So first of all, let me just say this as a caveat, that if you're a Christian, you believe some weird stuff. If you're a Christian, you believe that a guy was born of a virgin, rose again from the dead, did miracles while he was on earth. That's weird stuff to believe. Well, it's not that much further to go to believe what's happening in this passage where the sons of God came to earth and had sex with the daughters of men, human wives. Who are the sons of God? Well, when we think of sons of God, we think of Jesus, the son of God, right? But that's not really what this is. The sons of God were angelic beings who rebelled against God and came to earth. And they saw these human women lusted after them and had sex with them and created children. And the children that they created were called, remember that word, Nephilim, okay? Now, we know from Jesus' ministry that angels in heaven are neither married nor given in marriage. So angels are prohibited from procreating. That's why these angels rebelled against God's guideline for them. They fell to earth. They took, the Bible says, these women. What that means is, is that the women didn't have so much of a choice of it, but the fallen Sons of God or the fallen angels took the women that they wanted. So they produced this generation of what's called Nephilim, half fallen angel, half human. And they produce Nephilim. Nephilim means fallen ones or giants. And so uh, we believe that they were larger than normal human being. They're what the Bible calls the men of renown. They were perhaps smarter and more advanced than us. And the first time I ever thought about the Nephilim was many years ago. 
um, with my father-in-law. My father-in-law, the late Dr. Jim Sammons, was a brilliant man. He was the smartest guy I had access to. I mean, I had college professors that were very brilliant, but I couldn't just call them the phone anytime I wanted to. Let me just give you a feel for how brilliant my father-in-law was because of his family line. His father was actually one of the physicists that helped separate uranium to create the atomic bomb as a part of the Manhattan Project in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, that ended World War, you know, the atomic bomb ended World War II. So he was from a brilliant line of people. So when he was fascinated by a book, it made me interested in what that book might be. And I actually inherited this book from his library, because if you go on Amazon and try and get it today, it's a pretty expensive book. Um, but the title of the book is Did Genesis Man Conquer Space? And the reason that that is the title of the book is because we tend to believe that ancient people were less developed than what we are. The thesis of this book is, is that people who are ancient were actually more advanced than we are, and that they perhaps conquered space travel. And here's why. Because before the flood of Noah, the Bible says that people lived for hundreds of years. And you think about if Einstein was still alive today, lived hundreds of years, how much more knowledge could he acquire? And you also think about if Einstein could meet Stephen Hawking and other you know, brilliant people and physicists and the like, how much knowledge could be shared? you see? And then during that time, this book teaches what Genesis 6 teaches is that the Nephilim were alive. And the Nephilim perhaps were given heavenly technologies in science and physics and the like that perhaps made them more advanced than what we've been led to believe. Now, if you want to see a book that's more recent by a really great scholar, spooky smart, Michael Heiser wrote Unseen Realm, and he'll break down what the Nephilim are. And then another one that I thought was real interesting is called Judgment of the Nephilim by Ryan Peterson. He is a Columbia Law graduate, and he was a, an attorney on Wall Street, but he gave all that up to become an expert in ancient Hebrew civilizations, and he does a great work on that. If you're just like, Pastor Doug, I'm not reading all those books, just go on YouTube, type in the word Nephilim as it's spelled in Genesis chapter 6, and you will go down the rabbit hole of information about these beings. But many believe that the demons that we deal with today are not a third of the angels that fell from heaven, but the demons we deal with today are actually the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. Did you catch that? So demons are not necessarily the fallen angels, the third of the angels that fell from heaven was Satan. But when the Nephilim were killed off by Noah's flood, they were so evil that they were irredeemable. And so God had to bring a worldwide flood to destroy them. And remember, they were half demon and half human, or they were half fallen angel, rather, to be more precise, and half um, human. So they, their spirits, after they died, went somewhere. And those spirits are the modern-day demons that are trying to destroy and damage our lives. And they were judged by God because God takes this kind of thing very seriously. All of the destruction of the flood on earth happened because sons of God lusted for women. Go with me to their judgment in Jude. This Jude is, by the way, Jesus' half-brother, and he's got one chapter in his book, and we're going to go to Jude 1, 6, and 7. 
it says the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in, look at it, sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So because of lust, Sodom had to be destroyed by God. If you go to the Holy Land today, you can see an archaeological site known as Tal El Hammam. And archaeologists believe that this could have been the city or was the city of Sodom. And one archaeologist revealed through a quote in the Smithsonian, he said it was a, what destroyed that city was a blast a thousand times more powerful than the atomic bomb used in Hiroshima. So do you understand God takes lust very seriously. It is a big deal. And the Nephilim experience the judgment of God, and they are now the demons that are trying to drag us down and get us to experience the same judgment of God in our lives. So the, one of the things you got to understand because of the origins of the lust spirit, it was that, you know, these fallen angels, right? That's why lust can be so spiritual. We tend to think that people don't practice idolatry today, but that's not really true. What is idolatry? When someone looks at a statue or an idol and worships it, they visually look at a statue and worship it. And today, lust is people looking at an image or looking at a person and worshiping that, you see? Go with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 24. We'll see the spirituality of lust. Romans 1, 24. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Then the passage goes on to say, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. You know, I saw this uh, spirituality in lust from a well-known, and in our country, he was a well-respected college professor and novel writer. His name was David Foster Wallace, not a Christ follower, but a well-respected academic nonetheless. And here's what he said. There's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship, be it Jay-Z or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the four noble truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. See, let me show you another place where we see the spirituality of lust, and this is going to be in the biblical Proverbs chapter 7, verse 13. And it says, She threw her arms around him and kissed him, and with a brazen look, she said, I just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. See, peace offerings and vows that's religious language here of a lust spirit on a person. And here's part of the reason that I bring that up. Is because lust can be such a spiritual thing. That's why the lust spirit seeks to damage people in church. It can happen to church people. You just follow your, it happens to pastors. That's why you just follow any of your internet news feeds and they're dropping like flies, right? 
um, the less spirit can happen to anyone, and especially in a church like ours, where people we value being transparent and honest and authentic about your problems of the past and in the present. And when you get people together who are being authentic and raw and real like that, and you get two people that could potentially be detracted to each other, and that authenticity creates intimacy between the two people. And so I want you to be careful who you minister to. And don't like spiritualize it with me. I see through that. Don't use language. I just want, I know what you want to do. You want to lay hands on her, bro. You know, that's what's going on. Don't pretend. Look, pastors, church staff members, the most devoted church volunteers can fall into the problems of the lust spirit. So when you want to minister to a member of the opposite sex, you got to be careful. You cannot minister to whom you're attracted to. You follow me? You cannot minister to who you'll be tempted by. That's another way to say it. Um, because any one of us, any one of us can make a decision in an instant that we'll regret for the rest of our lives. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, therefore let Anyone who thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. Be very, very careful in this. Ask me how I know. You've heard perhaps many times my story on this. Years ago, uh, I was in a relationship with a woman who had been in her past. She had been a dancer, and I don't mean break dancer. And that was part of her past, and she needed help out of that, right? Um, well, she even manifests demons at one time, and she needed some help from someone who was not me. Because you cannot minister to someone you're tempted by. You follow me? And so my association with her opened me up to the same demonic traffic that had been through her. And, and, and look, the less spirit is going to say there won't be any consequences to this, or the less spirit will tell you, hey, you're above this. No, you're not. No, you're not. Do not be deceived. Look at Proverbs 7.22. We'll see the consequence of this for you. Let this land on you. This is not for all those other people down there. This is for you, Jack. Proverbs 7.22. Like an ox going to the slaughter, he was like a stag caught in a trap, awaiting the arrow that would pierce his heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. That is the consequence of handing yourself over, giving the keys to your life to that lust spirit. And so when you see it, do not see it as benign. See it as death and pain in your life. See, now, excuse me, sometimes demons, less demons get passed down generationally. I want you to think about that just for a minute. You could have got a certain level of less demons from your parents or other relatives. Um, you see, in the biblical story of David, who committed adultery, he was on his 
balcony, I guess. He was looking out over this woman who was very attractive named Bathsheba. She was naked in a hot tub. He calls for her. He had sex with her, committed adultery with her. Okay, a lot of you know that story. But what a lot of you don't know is that he got a lust spirit on himself, and that was passed down to his eldest son, Amnon, who lusted for his half-sister. See, because of the sins of the father. And as you think about this, I want you to understand we, we all know we can't blame everything, all of our problems, all of our sins on our parents, right? But we do have to be aware of what potentially could have been passed down to us from our ancestors. So remember what we said a couple of weeks ago, uh, it may not be your fault, but it's still your problem. And as I mentioned this, some of you are already thinking, you're thinking about, you know some of the sins of your parents, or you know some of the sins of your relatives, and those things are coming to your mind. Well, that could have got passed down to you. But can I tell you, there's also sins of your parents and your ancestors that you don't know about. So what could have got passed down to you from that? So here's my suggestion. How would you feel about us taking a time out and just making some declarations to overcome those things? Would you like to do that? Just like mid-service, let's just stop and let's make some declarations to deal with the demons of generational kinds of curses that get passed down, generational demons that get passed down to us. Well, here's the way that this is going to work. We're going to put these declarations on screen. I'd like everyone to lead, uh, read these things loud and proud, out loud, um, when I point to them. Ready? Here we go. I am set free from all generational curses through the cross of Jesus Christ. I break all generational curses of lust, perversion, and witchcraft in the name of Jesus. I command all generational demons that came into my life during conception or in the womb to come out in Jesus' name. Next slide. I choose to repent of lust. I renounce lust. I rebuke spirits of lust. I choose to break the cycle because of the cross, no generational lust demon has legal right to my life or my children. I receive freedom through Jesus Christ. Amen. Anybody feel good about that one today? Get rid of that stuff. Dude, I want to tell you something. That right there was worth the price of admission. Oh, but there's more. Okay, so we've talked about the lust demon, but now let's talk about Desire, that's the next one. What do you desire the most? That is, have you ever thought about what you really, really want out of life? If you could get anything, what do you really, really want out of this life? And let me ask another question related to this topic today of lust. Why is it that you want to be free from lust? Because I know people on this internet stream or in this room, you know, you just, you know you're not into the God thing and you just kind of came with you know, a family member or the person that you're dating and you're not into the God thing. But, you know, some of you might say, I don't even want to be free of lust. I like my lust. It's fun. It's fun to do. It feels good. You know, that's what some of you are saying. But a lot of us, we want to be free. And I want to drill down further into your heart. Why do you want to be free? Because the desire to be free of lust, just to be morally superior to other people around you is not a good enough desire. And there's some good 
reasons that some of you want to be free, but they're not the best reasons. Can I give you some examples of that? Some of you are saying, I want to be free of lust because I don't want it to affect my family in a negative way. That's a good reason. It's not the best reason. Some of you are like, I want to be free of lust because it's affecting my career in a negative way. That's a good reason. It's not the best reason. I mean, you know, someone here that's like tired of that, you know, uh, sexual harassment, you know, complaints about them from HR, you know, well, that's a good reason. I mean, you should not want those complaints against you and you should do something about that. But that's not the best reason to want to be free of lust. I think the answer lies in the words of the great Dr. John Piper, who said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. His ministry is called Desiring God because the greatest desire in all the universe, greater than any relationship, the desire for God is greater than any career. The desire for God is greater than any pleasure, greater than any accolades. It's greater than anything to desire the living God. It's more fulfilling. And for me, I had to come to terms with what I really desired more. Did I desire God more or did I desire to fulfill my lusts more? Did I desire God more or did I desire my career in the ministry and my marriage more? Which one? Because the greatest desire is to desire God. And willingness to go through brokenness reveals your desire. For me, I was tested. God tested me to see if I loved career and ministry or desire for him more. And you will be tested in different ways. Have you ever wondered why some people can get free of lust and other people seem to just be upset that they got caught? in doing something. And you know, here's what I would suggest is that today, everybody thinks they're a therapist. Have you noticed that online and social media? It's like people who have no psychological training, but are all of a sudden posting all this stuff about, because everybody's a therapist now in control of their own recovery. And can I tell you something? If you're in control of your own recovery, you've never been broken. That's not brokenness. But look, what brokenness is, it's what I call the GOP. You've been broken if you're willing to submit yourself to the G is God. It's it's not a political party, by the way. G is God. The O is other people. And the P is a process. Did you catch that? You've been broken if you're willing to submit yourself to God, other people, and a process of recovery, help, and change. And we've got all kinds of groups around the church. You know, you can look at our website, see all kinds of groups that will provide people a process like that. And I'll tell you this, brokenness for me meant that I had to go back to the church that fired me for my lust problems. And I want to tell you something about that. 
is that the reason that a lot of pastors won't go back to the church that they're no longer employed with is because they were never really a part of the community of that church to begin with. They were what Jesus calls hired hands, not shepherds. They were there for a paycheck, but not the people. You follow me? And so God was telling me, you've got to go back to the very church that is your community, and that's what I did. And I submitted myself to a process with three different qualified Christian counselors, and I submitted myself to a process with a deliverance and freedom minister that cast away the demons, and I submitted myself to other men with whom I was accountable at that time. And by the time I was set free and went back into the ministry, my church had seen me repenting over a period of years, repenting with actions, not words. Because how many of you know, anybody can say, I'm sorry, or I did something wrong. But what you got to do is prove repentance over a period of time. My church watched me be a participant in worship and a small group, not an employee. And so think about what you would be willing to be broken for. And the greatest thing, person in the universe to be broken for is not your career or even your family, but it's him. It's God first. And look, you desire God more than anything else. He'll make everything else line up in a way that you could have never dreamed in your lifetime. But there was a guy who was not broken that we've already heard his name. It was Amnon, David's son. Remember, David committed adultery. He passed a lust spirit down to his son, Amnon, who desired his half-sister, Tamar. Bro, Amnon, that is not a natural desire. That is a demonic spirit come down on Amnon, affecting him in this way. And look, it stole from Amnon. Amnon was the eldest son of the king. He was the rightful heir to the throne, but he died early and he never sat on that throne as a king. And so you see in Amnon, a man who lost his place in the palace because he was a prisoner of his own passion. And it took him to spiritual prison, see, and early death. If you compare Amnon with the biblical character of Joseph, Remember, what you see in Amnon is that he lost, you know, his, his presence in the palace because he was a prisoner to his own passions, whereas Joseph was in a prison and he controlled his passions and God took him to the palace. Anybody want to go to the palace? That's where the Lord wants to take you, right on? If you will... Desire him first. He'll help you control your desires. I learned some of this from Pastor Vlad Sovchek, and here's how he says it. Submit your biology to your theology, your sexuality, to your spirituality, your feelings, to your faith, your chemistry, to your Christ. And that's what we're endeavoring to do to free ourselves from the lust spirit. But here's the thing. You have to believe that it's possible and some of us don't believe that. I didn't used to believe it. I used to believe. I'd heard someone say men were made to go from flower to flower. I believed that. 
I didn't think it was possible. I didn't think that a person could, you know, it's like in our modern age, there's so many images and phones, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I thought it wasn't possible, but that's not true. You really can live free of lustful desires. And you know how I know that? You're not lusting right now, are you? You're not. Are you? You're looking at me like it's a trick question. No, you're not lusting. I know you're probably not lusting right now. As far as I can tell, you're not lusting right now. Um, and, and some of you are like, yeah, I'm not lusting right now. Why are you lusting, not lusting right now? Some of you are like, yeah, I'm not lusting because I'm looking at you, Pastor Doug. Okay, so it's, I do everything I can to help the cause, right? So if, if you have a problem with lust, just think about this face right here, and it'll help you. You know, it'll keep you from... From, from, from lusting, uh, but you know really the reason that you're not lusting right this moment is because you've chosen to put yourself in a place that's a pathway towards God's palace for your life. You see what I'm saying? And every time you're tempted, you put yourself in a place that will keep you on the right path towards God, but you have to believe that it's possible. Will somebody want to point to you? Will you say, I believe it's possible? Ready? Here we go. I believe it's possible because it is. It's real. It's legit. Now, we've seen demons and desire. Now let's look at delight. And I got to talk about this part of delight because you, sometimes you go to church and you think, oh, they, you know, they're talking about sex and it's all the bad side of sex or, you know, sexual desires in that. And that is not how God made sex. He made sex for it to be a delight. Go with me back to Genesis 1.31, and it says that God looked over all he had made, including sex, the men and the women, all of it, and it was what? Very good. It's like very good. And the word in Hebrew for good is tov, okay? And if you read throughout the Hebrew scripture, you'll see that tov describes good things. In the Bible, tov describes wine, honey, bread, perfume, fruit, and the shade under a tree on a hot day. And so I would say today, Tov is good. Tov describes like al pastor tacos, you know? Isn't that great? They're great tacos. I love them. They're, they're like the official tacos of pastors everywhere is al pastor, right? Um, so Tov is like the blue bonnets and Tov is like fiesta. And Tov is like the Spurs going deep into the playoffs. Please, Lord, man. Tov is like the Cowboys winning their game last weekend, even though it was against an injury-depleted Giants team. Give me my Tov. Thank you, Lord, that the Cowboys won that game. That's Tov. And so as you look into the scriptures, man, romance and foreplay and orgasms and sex is Tov, man. It is good, created by God. And the first command is in Genesis 1.28, which says, be fruitful and multiply. So one of the first commands of God is to have sex, man. And so husbands, I want you to apply this today, bro. Go home and tell your wife. It's like, honey, I'm just trying to obey God's word. And I want to be like a spiritual leader on our home. And so let's just get biblical, honey, right now. And so uh, we got time after the game. So anyways, <laughs> I just did someone a favor. And someone better not wait till after the game, you know. But in Genesis, the man and the woman were naked and it wasn't awkward. And you know that when, you know, come to church, the pastor starts talking about lust and sex, everybody's, I, I can see your little faces out there. And you're like, awkward, you know. She's talking about sex in church today. 
See, that's because we live after the fall. We were sexual before we were sinful. You know that, right? Sex is something that's supposed to be a delight when we have sex within God's biblical parameters for sex. Is that making sense to anyone? So can I share something awesome with you? For those of you that are in Christ, that have been born again, that know Jesus, is that even if you're struggling with lust these days right now, did you know that he still delights in you if you're in Christ? He, he does. He still delights in you. You don't change through shame. The Bible teaches us that it's God's kindness that actually leads us to repentance. And some of you are so used to trying to shame yourself and white knuckle your way into change. And you don't change through shame. You don't clean up before you show up. Can I ask you? How many of you could come here to church and worship if you had to clean up before you showed up here? Okay. And nobody's raising your hand, partly because it would be awkward if you raise your hand, and then uh, partly because you know it's not true, is that you can't clean up in order to be able to show up. The reason we show up is because we can help each other connect with God, who's the one who can change us and help us clean up. Is that making sense to anyone? Is anybody embracing that truth that he's the only one that can change us? And look, if you feel dirty, judged, condemned, and all that, you have to erase all that because if you're in Christ, that is not the way God views you. And I know some of you, you're saying, man, Pastor Doug, if you knew just some of the things that I've looked at, and if you people at the church knew all the lusty kind of things that I've done, even in recent days, no one here would, would love me or care about me or want me to be a part of this. And I'm saying, you got to erase all that and realize there isn't anybody in this room that doesn't love you and care about you. And even if there was one or two that were kind of judgy, eventually they'll get mad at me and they'll leave this church. But it's God who loves you. And if you're in Christ, he cares about you and he delights you even if you struggled last night. Can I show you another passage that I think will be uh, encouraging for you? Because I know some of you have been trying on this and then you've fallen, you've fallen spiritually. Or some people would say it's spiritually backsliding or recovery. You say relapsed. Look at this passage, Proverbs 24, 16. For though the righteous fall. You mean to tell me righteous people fall? Yeah, it's not my opinion. It's God's word. Though the righteous fall seven times, they do what? They rise again. And look, God brought someone here today to encourage you. Hey, don't be discouraged. Let's rise again. Let's rise again. And you keep rising again. And one day, you know what's going to happen? God's going to rise you again. See, it, 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 this doesn't just apply to a lust. It applies to a lot of areas of life. But it certainly applies to lust is that you keep rising again. And then one day, God will rise you again in a whole new way. Ask me how I know about that one. So... Many years ago, I was out of the ministry. I was working in a corporate job, and I was training all these people who were coming to go through this training of mine from all over the country. There was a very attractive woman in that group, 
and we seemed to hit it off and it was totally appropriate, you know, until the day where she handed me a piece of paper that had her hotel room number on it. I'm like, oh, golly. And I'm like, God, I'm, I get my car after work and I'm literally on my way to that hotel and I'm letting God have it on the way to the hotel because I'm saying, look, God, evidently you don't work because I'm about to go cross a moral boundary that I've never crossed and I'm going to do it today, God. It's happening today. Because God, I've, I've been accountable. I can, you know, everybody says be accountable. I've gone to all the counseling and classes and stuff to try and get help. And evidently, you just don't work. You got to remember this was the day before, uh, you know, this is time before smartphones. And so I had to call up to her room in the hotel lobby. And I get on that courtesy phone in the lobby and I'll call up to her room and I said, hey, it's Doug, I'm here. And she says on the other end, Doug, I'm so sorry, but my ex-boyfriend flew in from out of town and we decided we're going to get back together. And so we're not going to be able to hang out today. And I, I said, hey, it's totally cool. It's all good. And I hung up and I laughed and I looked at him. I said, you did this, didn't you? You took me to the edge. I was a fitting a plunge over the edge, God. And then you saved me from doing something even worse. And I don't know if that holy laughter thing that some Christians talk about is legit or not, but I do know this. I laughed in my car all the way home Just because the whole scenario was so funny to me. Back then, I could have never imagined standing before you and talking about this stuff, right? Well, then what I noticed is a couple of days went by and I didn't act out at all which I'd done a couple of days before, so that wasn't a big deal. Well, then a couple of weeks passed by and I'd not acted out. Well, I'd done that before. But then a couple of months passed. And then a couple of years passed. And now it's been a over a couple of decades since I've been free. And I'm here to tell you today, it's because God lifted me up and it is possible to be free of this. And here's what I know about some of you is that you come into a church setting and maybe you don't know God, but for whatever reason, you feel something about the lustful things you've been involved with. And you think, dude, God wants to torch me just like he did Sodom. I mean, he's got to be waiting in heaven with a heavenly blowtorch. And as soon as I die, it's like, <laughs> he's just like to light me up. And I want you to know today, that is not God's heart for you right now. God's heart for you is pictured in the story of a woman named Gomer who was married to a prophet. And you know what she did? She not only cheated on her husband, but she prostituted herself out to all these different men. And look at what God says to her. And I believe this is what God is saying to you right now today. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 14, he says, I will win her back once again. God wants to win you back. He says, I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. Anybody in the desert right now? And a good God is speaking tenderly to you 
right now. And he says, when that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine. And you will finally, what? Know me. I think that's speaking to some of you that already know him. But I think also there's someone that doesn't know him. And would you let me introduce you to him right now? How about? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And as we bow before him, if you don't know him and you'd like to right now, I want you to just talk to him in your own heart and mind and say this. Just say, God, look, I know I've sinned and screwed some stuff up. But God, right now, the best I understand it, I'm making a choice. I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And he rose again from the dead to give me new life. God, welcome into my life. And I choose to serve you for the rest of my life. Thank you for coming in, in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen, amen. And so as we wrap up, what do you say we clean up any residual lust through some declarations? Would you be down with that? When you do this, I want you to speak these declarations very loud and proud. And the reason is because it might affect someone else's freedom around you. So they're gonna come up on screen and we're gonna say them together as they come up. Here we go. God, please help me with this craving in my flesh. I desire lusts that contradict your word. Please help me overcome. I know I don't have the strength without you. God, please remove the spirit of lust. May the Lord rebuke the spirit of lust. I choose to repent of lust. I renounce the spirit of lust. I rebuke the spirit of lust in the powerful name and blood of Jesus. Next slide. Jesus, please heal the wound that contributes to my lust. Father, I confess my lust as sin. I choose to change. God, I choose to believe my identity in Christ. I'm not a pervert, I'm pure. I'm not a whore, I'm a holy child of God. In the name of Jesus, I cast out the demon of lust with all its works and effects. I'm free because of the cross of Jesus Christ, amen. Anybody wanna thank the Lord for what he just took out of our lives today? Yeah, thank you, Lord. And so... As we wrap up today, uh, just I want to remind you of a couple of things. One is that our prayer leaders are going to be down front here to pray with you after service and make sure and take advantage of that. Now, next week, we're going to look at the spiritual weapon of gratitude. Uh, gratitude is actually a weapon in the spiritual realm. Make sure and come on back for that. Now, when it comes to the worship through our tithes and offerings or the financial part of the worship, if you're not a Christian or new here, a guest or whatever, we totally understand if you don't participate in that part. We're not just in you know, asking for your money. We just want to serve you. But those of us that are regulars here that um, believe in Jesus and want to contribute to his causes, we bring, you know, a first priority, 
you know, offering and tithe and uh, above to, to help serve, you know, what he's doing here in this city. Um, here's the four ways we take up the offering since we don't pass buckets or plates. You can give by mail, by text. You can go to the giving stations located near the exits of the theater, or you can just go on any device to citytribe.church, our website. That's not .com, but it's citytribe.church and take care of it in that way. Um, now, uh, let's stand together before you guys worship through your generosity. And I want to speak what we call a benediction over you. And if you're comfortable to join hands with the brothers and sisters next to you, by all means, do that because we're a family and not a franchise here. And so, dear brothers and sisters, as you walk out of this place, may you walk from here with authority, dealing with the demons of lust and getting your desires aligned with God's desires, but most of all, delighting in the greatest pleasure in all the universe. Our good God, walk from here free from the prison of your own passions so that you can go on the path to the palace. Go from here to the palace in Jesus' name. You guys have an amazing Sunday. We'll see you next time. Peace. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, Check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.